Today at Fearless Wealth, we have a, again, a very special guest with us, but one that I know in person, one that I have a big history with, one that's been a big catalyst for me individually and for many people that I know um, on different aspects of life. Today we have a real, real, real witch, and we have a very big announcement and a um, little like preparing the land for a big thing to come. So let's talk about it. We're talking witchery, we're talking magic, we're talking time, we're talking money, we're talking success, we're talking wealth, all of it. Today at Fair Flow. It's your opinionated cunt whore, dominatrix friend, money witch, demon whisperer, alleged demon queen, 5%er, business bitch, fake witch, apex predator and my recent name is the most emotional dominatrix on the planet um here we are at fearless wealth today we have a old 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 friendly witch with us danielle dulski hi danielle (laughs) (laughs) hi fire i love apex predator yeah, yeah, people, Alex that started with that. He's like, you're just the apex predator. You make everything win at life. I'm like, okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> just collect I'll collect yes. all <laughs> um, It started with, um, we don't want to just win at life. We want to aggressively win at life. In whatever, yeah. whatever way winning looks like. <laughs> so <laughs> for everyone listening... Danielle is the person who came up with the name for this podcast. Ironically, she doesn't even remember this anymore because genius goes through her, apparently. Um, (laughs) But we were talking two years ago about podcasts, and I think I did a reading with you, and you were like, yeah, 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 this podcast is good. Yeah, catchy name. I'm like, I suck at names. And you were like, call it something like Fearless Wealth. I'm like, well, guess I'll go with (laughs) (laughs) it. I love it. Yes. Yes. We'll so, just say that was channeled through me for you. Exactly. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you. Anything. I have a bunch of questions. We have a bunch of exciting stuff going on. But how would you describe your current self? My current self. Let's see. The ways that I identify now primarily are witch storyteller witch myth tender is a name i've been moving toward um maybe dream weaver and for a few more years anyway mother (laughs) kids are getting older still though still i am mother so yeah that's where i'm feeling i am today and in a very linear patriarchal sense what are some of the like the tangible measurable accomplishments that you have lived through in the last decade Ooh, the last decade wow okay well i think the most obvious ones so i'll start there while i think about what i'm gonna say after that the most obvious ones would be i've written I've written four books and then uh, an Oracle deck. So my fifth project comes out in September and that's a book called The Holy Wild Grimoire. And let's see, other accomplishments. I, I facilitate circles of 
witches, primarily women, but not only women, and uh, especially those who like embodied ritual and like to move and don't just like to talk about things, but like to actually feel things. So that's a big part of my work. I really love old stories. I love telling old stories. And I think, and this is a relatively new knowing, I like the old stories because they don't really have to make sense. <laughs> you don't have to explain everything about a story like a dream. You don't have to know what every single thing means. And I kind of feel like that's the language of these times. Like we don't re we're in this time of great uncertainty. So being able to see through, you know, your dreamscapes or these mythically intelligent eyes where you can look at something and be like, that's important. I don't really know why yet, but I think that's important. And you can hold that tension of knowing something's valuable for you without having to solve the problem yet. Like, that's what I feel like one of the greatest skills that we can have right now is. Um, and as always, getting weird with time, right? Like you get weird with money and time. I appreciate those who get weird with time. And there's always like a, you know, th there's a, a crack in time that happens in ritual and in spell work. And that same crack in time happens in stories also. So mm -hmm. I've been kind of feeling into that, like how stories can be spells and maybe storytelling was like the original spell. I love that. <laughs> so, okay, let's, let's do, I ha like I'm writing now so many questions because so many questions. <laughs> Um, cause I tried to look at you through the lens of m not me, cause I know you and I have so much to say good, good stuff. <laughs> Let's do a little question that I always ask. Let's jump to, I don't know, five-year-old Danielle, little Danielle. Mm -hmm. What does little Danielle's life look like? <laughs> oh, well, five-year-old Danielle's life was pretty sad. Um, I, well, not only sad, but I lived in this pretty dualistic world up until about age 13 or 14, where I had my parents' household, which was incredibly dysfunctional, mostly because of addiction, but there were other things going on too. And it was like dirty, like, like, I feel like I can never express how dirty my the house was that I grew up, like just a filthy house. And then the other half of the time, I was in my grandparents' house, my father's parents, and they were like cookies in the oven. Like my grandmother was constantly cleaning. So it was like this pristine, humble house, but, you know, just always nourishment and, you know, being forced to just stay outside and play kind of thing um, and being taken care of in a way that was really the opposite. I mean, these were polar opposite environments <laughs> that I was raised in. And so there was that duality. The other strange duality was my parents' house full of dysfunction, but it had a pretty, pretty domineering um, mother who was very religious and specifically born again, sometimes evangelical Christian. And then my father, who was like a biker atheist. And my mom worked at night 
And my dad um, would take care of me at night and he was a DJ at bars. And so, you know, I would have like church during the day. I mean, church twice a week and then this Christian school, private Christian school during the day. And then I would be like in bars or like biker parties at night and like sleeping on random couches and then having to go to my Christian school. <laughs> so I, so five-year-old me was probably pretty confused. <laughs> so do you actually felt confusion? Cause I know I, I've, I realized that for those of us who have, like we've talked about this, who, who have kind of grown up in chaos, like chaos becomes the norm. Yeah. And just like in stories, like it doesn't have to make sense, but it makes sense to us. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember some confusion. I know. I think like for the most part, I just kind of accepted it. You know, it is what it is. Everybody's world is like that. Like I remember going to my friend's households and being like, this must be what normal people do (laughs) and act like. And like, oh, your mom's home every night. And oh, you don't live with your grandparents half the time. And, you know, oh, your dad doesn't have, you know, whiskey swilling friends that are over every night. So, but I do, I do kind of remember being confused, like, especially about the, the disparity between my parents' house and my grandparents' house. Like, I remember that being confusing because I did want to just live at my grandparents' house all the time for Mm -hmm. obvious Mm -hmm. reasons. There was food there, (laughs) right? There was clean beds there. So I do remember like being upset, like having to go back home or, you know, if it wasn't going to be a few days before I got to go back there. So I do remember being confused. I'm sure there's some things I just accepted as normal, but yeah. And so how, how do you, like, how did the, the, the thing that is Danielle became a non-Christian um, yeah. and perhaps even a, a bit more of the, like the opposite, right? The opposite spectrum where there are several gods, where there's like freedom and spirituality instead of this mm-hmm. really dogmatic, like linear way of thinking, which Christianity would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know that there was a moment when I became not Christian. Cause I don't think I ever was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I, I remember, I I remember being very into certain parts of the Christian religion. And to a certain extent, I'm still into them. Like, I really like some of the stories. Um, And I think it's, it's Joseph Campbell who says something like, you know, at some point you have to stop trying to run away from the stories that were put into you as a kid, because they're in there no matter what. So, you know, there's certain parts of, you know, the certain Bible stories that I really do think are cool. And so I feel like those things that didn't necessarily cast me as fearful and sinful and like, I'm going to go to hell if I don't do certain things. I kind of found a home in those places, but I don't know that I ever really felt like I was a Christian, right? Mm. Um, and I had a lot of moments. I mean, we could be here until midnight with me listing the moments of like being so little and thinking like, wow, this is a really fucked up way to look at the world. Right. (laughs) You know, so there were lots of things that I did not accept even at age five. Like, so, um, I think, you know, when my parents started to fall deeper into addiction and especially my mother, you know, started to fall deeper into addiction. There was, you know, less of like, we have to go to church, you know, 
the, these are the rules. We have Bible study. It's Wednesday. Like she did kind of fall away from that, the deeper into her own addiction she got. And so, you know, for me, that was pretty liberating that I didn't have to necessarily buy into those things. But then it made me kind of second guess, like, okay, well, then what have we been doing for all these years? <laughs> if, if we could just stop going. If we can just, yeah, we can just going. stop participating. Right. So it was really like my early teenage years, I started practicing yoga, like my dad signed the permission slip because I was so young and my mom thought yoga was evil. And so, you know, there was that journey through the teenage years and then learning from the witches that owned the witch shops, right? Because that's what you did. That's what we used to do when there was no internet and there was no witch, you know, bookstore around the corner. You would go to the places that had the new age or pagan shops and you would ask all you could of the owner or like whoever was behind the counter. And they were kind of like my original teachers. Mm. Um, I'm sure they were super annoyed with me, but like, you know, I, I give them immense credit, like Dr. Eric in New Hope, who I don't think is there anymore, but like he was one of my original witchcraft teachers just because he would answer my questions. Right. <laughs> so I that was teenage years. So I'm already like, you know, away from the church really by age, I don't know, 14 or 15, which was when my grandfather died also. So that was this big moment of not going to my grandparents' house as often. I love how you just, just turned the story into yoga is the gateway to like witchery. You're like, <laughs> like, like the, like the Christians, you're like marijuana is the gateway to cocaine, right? <laughs> <laughs> It can be. I mean, then, you know, in the early and mid 90s, where I lived, it was pretty accessible, like I could find a yoga class. And it was, you know, when you step back, and you kind of behold the poetry of your life, like the fact that I had this yoga teacher in really bumblefuck Pennsylvania, um, who, you know, Kiran Mishra was her name. She's descended from the Indus Saraswati people. Like she's a huge deal now, right? But then, you know, she's kind of leading a yoga program in this backwoods yoga studio and I happened to find her, right? So I remember, wasn't the very first class, I don't think, but one of the classes that I took with her, she's just explaining this moment of seeing a deer cross the road. And she's talking about it like it was the most epic experience of her life. Like she's talking about the way its muscles were moving and how she just stopped in her car and she's watching this deer cross the road. And like, I had seen that before growing up in Bucks County. I've seen lots of deer cross the road before, but I was like, wow, like I really want to see the world the way this woman sees the world, right? So, you know, yoga is being a gateway for for witchcraft. It was kind it was that way for me primarily in letting the body be important, which of course we know it isn't in Christianity. It's, it's something to be admonished. Um so the body being important, but then also being able to like let your present experience be important instead of like, you know, looking for the great reward at the end of life. Like those I feel like were the first big things that were appealing. And then and then finding out like, oh, this is actually a whole spiritual path that I could follow if I wanted. Right. There are more doors that are open to me. So, yeah. I love that. What um. What are, 
what were some of the messages that you, whether verbally or by, by example, um, received about money and success or money and wealth or like some, you know, right. That angle of the world. Yeah. Um, well, so my father had this, what I've called like blue collar pride where the wealthy people, the rich people were the enemy. They were bad mm. people. Um, mm. but, and we've talked about this before, like, they were they were the enemy but we were also better than them like that's also and i've really internalized that like you know you've asked before like what's the feeling when you see somebody in a super fancy car drive by and my my visceral feeling and i know that this wouldn't be a popular opinion to post on social media this is good this is good yeah but my visceral feeling is like not me and also i pity them Like, Mm -hmm. I feel bad for them. Like, that's my sense. My embodied visceral sense is like, oh, I feel so bad that they didn't, I don't know, do whatever I would deem in that moment as more important with that money than buy that car, right? And I know that that comes from my father and like, you know, thinking like, you know, if you have money, then you've had an easy road in life. You haven't had to work very hard. You've had it all given to you. Um, probably your parents had money and their parents had money and there's a generational wealth thing going on. Um, and that we are cooler because we don't have money. (laughs) Pride and poverty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my parents' house. And then my, my grandparents' house, they grew up during the great depression. So with them, it was, it was different in that there, there, well, there was still this deep fear of scarcity, But it was different in that I didn't necessarily think that they thought they were better than anybody that had money. But it was sort of like this, that's just the way it is mentality. And um, my uncle talk about my grandmother sometimes, like if she went to the grocery store and she had a coupon that said bread was going to be 39 cents and the bread was 50 cents when she got there, she wouldn't buy that bread. Like, you know, like it was like whatever the number was in her head that could not possibly go up or she just wouldn't do it. Um, What's your relationship with it now to success, to wealth? And what what shape has success and wealth taken now that you're an adult and you have walked your own path? Yeah, I don't know how to answer that question at this point in my life. Um, I've gotten to a place with, you know, the, the amount that I have coming in and the amount of like property that I have that feels like my kind of comfortable, I don't want to say maximum, but it feels like I'm at this swollen kind of place Mm -hmm. where I don't really want any more things to manage. You know, like I always think about, I had a friend who, collected these tiny seashells. And she said something once that marked me where she was like, you know, all those things have to be managed. And so like, you know, like it takes a little bit of energy to manage every one of those seashells. And I thought, wow, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. So like money too, like it takes a little bit of energy to manage that. Um, And we do have two properties. It's not something that I, you know, a dynamic that I wish to stay this way. Like, 
we are looking to move to the cheaper one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point uh, over the next couple of years. So right now doesn't feel like I'm in a super sustainable place mm-hmm. as far as, you know, what's coming in and all of the things that I have. I'm intensely grateful for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's some sort of larger reason why I'm in this place in my life right now. Um But since we were talking about family, like I was thinking about how special I was, like when we we bought this land in upstate New York and sort of out of fear of a looming civil war. And I wanted to be close to Canada. And that was like the story I was telling myself. Right. And it was a fear based move, I think, in hindsight. It didn't really feel that way at the time, but it, it feels like a fear based kind of thing now. But you know, that is our place. Like we buried our dog there. We're planning to have our own graveyard there. Like that is our place. So it was an important maneuver. But in my head, I'm telling myself like, wow, I'm so, you know, I really made it like, you know, (laughs) I'm, I'm so, I'm so special for having done this. But then when I really started thinking about it, like my grandparents had a little cabin in the mountains and that's my the grandparents that raised me. My mom's grandparents, same thing, right? And so, you know, I'm just kind of repeating the same thing that they did. And then they moved there, you know, when they got to their 50s, they moved there. And that's our plan, too. So, you know, I'm not that special. <laughs> like, it's a duality of the paradox of both, right? Like, you are that special and you're not that special. Yeah. And and the the reason why I always ask this question is because I feel like, a majority of us when growing up, like we would um, relate success to like monetary numbers. And now as we grow old, like we, like we know that success is also probably a lot of responsibility. It's like time management. Like what does your time look like? You can have, like if you work 120 hours a week, you can have all the fucking money, but you'll be like, like how, how, how well and fulfilled are you actually feeling? Right. So I feel like it's expansive in how like our relationship to success and wealth for general. Right. Like I'm I'm listening to this amazing book that I don't know that if you would love it yet because I'm only on like chapter two out of 10,000 or something. What, what name, what's the name? It's called The Dawn of Everything. Oh, no. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there we go. Have you ever listened to it? I'm, I'm, I'm just at okay. the beginning too, but everyone kept yelling at me, you need it. So I'm already, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the beginning, I mean, I think it was in the introduction where there were like two really profound things that I had never thought of before. And one of them was like, at some point, money or currency started to be equated with power and that it didn't used to be that way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And so then I start being like, okay, well then, you know, what would the thing be that's equated with power if it's not, you know, is it a government position or like what else is that other thing that would be equated with power? So, of course, I go to like time travel and I'm like, if there's somebody that could effectively travel through time or like there's certain people that could effectively travel through time, would they then be the powerful ones or like what conditions would be required for them to be powerful if it's only their unique superpower and they can't share it, then they probably wouldn't be looked at as that powerful unless they were like doing missions for other people or something. Right. So there does have to be something with the sharing or something that connects you to, you know, the greater collective or whatever. Anyway, that's and it's, a, and it's such a diluted word right now. Right. Cause in like the association with power is in pr- probably traditional sense, power over others, I would mm-hmm. say, 
-hmm. Whereas, um, depending on your personal individual life position, I would say power over emotions, power over like your sovereignty, like is for me signify significantly bigger weight to power than whether you can control others or not. But again, that depends all on like researching what those mean is so yeah. fucking valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other cool thing that they said in the intro is that there seems to be evidence that indigenous people, particularly in the Americas, that they really linked dreams to currency. And so if you dreamt of something, um, you know, like if you dreamt of, I think the example in the book is like your neighbor's kettle. So like you dream of your neighbor's kettle, you have full right then to go take your neighbor's kettle because you had this dream about it. And so, you know, dreams, so dreams weren't currency, but dreams were a, a way of moving goods and services and i felt like that was so cool <laughs> you know like my the way i said out loud in the car when ryan was my husband was driving was like oh i would have so many things <laughs> like i i dream of things all the time so i'd have to be pretty you know conscious of like do i take everything that i dream about because <laughs> i dream about a lot of things i'd have so many chickens and frogs i'm always dreaming about chickens and frogs <laughs> Like a real witch. Yeah. <laughs> so your, your, your book, your books, who's going to jump, we're, we're subject <laughs> jumping here. Your books, the way you storytell is a way that penetrates beyond words. Like you have you have mastered the art of words connection to feeling and emotion and like going into that turmoil and still making sense out of it. So absolutely fucking well done. Um, and you have a new book coming, the Holy Grimoire. Mm -hmm. I do. Yes. The Holy Wild Grimoire. It's a, cause it's a is it, is it, would you call it a sequence sequel to, to the Holy Wild, kind mm -hmm. of. It The original <laughs> intention was that it would be like a handbook or like a companion book to the Holy mm -hmm. Wild. Yeah. And then in writing it, it took on a life of its own where, you know, it still does have the same themes, I think, as the Holy Wild. And it's still organized the same way. The difference is that the reader is kind of writing their own grimoire or their own book as they move through this book. So the idea is they have their own journal. And then if they do all of the things that are in the Holy Wild Grimoire book that I wrote, they will end up with their own Holy Wild Grimoire that they've written. And so the the elements are all in there. So earth, water, fire, air, and ether. And then each of those books is then divided into um reflections, presences, and visions. So there's these different, essentially like journaling exercises, rituals, spells, and stories that are organized in this way, according to the elements. But the story ends up, the guiding story, or what I'm calling the story lantern for each of the five elements ends up being like the door opener. Like I think stories open doors. So a lot of the feedback that I've gotten for the Holy Wild 
isn't usually about the rituals and the spells necessarily that are in there. It's about the revisioning of those, um, you know, the the feminine archetypes or the characters from the Christian Bible that really aren't the bulk of the book. I mean, in terms of word count, you know, <laughs> but that those are the things that I usually get the most feedback about. Like, you know, wow, the way you talked about, um, you know, the mother of Babylon. I hadn't heard that before. So. You know, so these different stories just opening doors and then the reader kind of making their own experience out of what's left. Like that was my intention for the Holy Wild Grimoire. Um, so it's sort of it has its own spirit now where I don't know. It's Is it like the baby of the Holy Wild? I don't think that's the right thing. Maybe it's like the it's like the gnarly underground sister of the Holy Wild. Yes. <laughs> she I just crawled that. out of her cave. I love it. And um, you 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 use a lot of elemental things in mm-hmm. in all your magic. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I how I'm going to word this question? Um, you also use it a lot in ritual, like physical ritual. How did you come to representation and the importance of these elements in your basically your whole life, right? Whether it's ritual mm-hmm. writing, yeah. I think partly because of the way my brain works, like I really like and need (laughs) clear structures. And because, you know, I, I teach a lot and I, I come to my own understanding a lot of the time in circle, like while I'm teaching, I, I come to these new understandings. And so I think that the elements became very pronounced partly because everybody kind of gets them. Like there's not that many lenses that feel like they have a universality to them where it doesn't really matter what the background, what your background is or what your story is. We can all feel what earth, water, fire, air, and ether is, right? And so so, so that's probably where it started was, you know, loving the, the lenses and especially like, I think originally it was the chakral system and then the way the elements fit into that system. I love that. I love working with especially trinities that have these different, you know, layers. So, you know, a lot of times when people are in my programs, I spend at least the first day going over all of these different lenses and probably making them hate me. Right. But the elements is one that I feel like is probably the most accessible. Like we're all creatures. And so we all we all live here for now on Earth. Right. And so we all kind of feel, I think, what these elements mean. So, yeah. So I like like a universal language. Yeah. Yeah. And your take on ritual itself, because you. in a very Western modern world, right? We are kind of removed from ritual. We're removed from ceremony mm-hmm. uh, culturally. Um, and you have made an active thing to incorporate that again in life, mm-hmm. in community, in connection. What, what, why is ritual so important? Yeah, I think ritual is the answer to everything. Um I think that human beings by nature know how to move through ritual and in fact do. So it's not so much 
always about incorporating new rituals, but noticing what you already do that is ritualistic behavior. I mean, sometimes that's not a good thing. Like, you know, having 10 cigarettes a day is very ritualistic behavior, (laughs) right? But noticing what rituals are already there um, and knowing that it's in the bone memory, you know, like we all know how to do it. Like, I think that that was one of like the early, early signs that part of my calling was witchcraft or teaching witchcraft, because I remember being in, you know, early Wiccan, primarily Wiccan at that time in my early and mid twenties circles where people would be coming who maybe had never cast a circle before, or I remember being at part of this Beltane ritual. I was just thinking about this because we're just past Beltane and it was like gnarly. Like there were huge antler crowns and horns involved. And it was sort of like this great right thing. Um, And yet, so I had never seen this before, right? And the people that are casting a circle for the first time, they maybe have never done that before. And yet there's this feeling of like, I know this. It's not the same as this is intriguing. I want to know more. It's a feeling of like, oh, this lives inside me somewhere. And I think that that's one of the things that people are drawn to ritual. You have to distinguish between that. There's like that part of you that's like, oh, this is really cool. I really want to know more about this or learn how to do it or teach it or something. And then there's the part of you that's like, I already know this. This is something that's in there. Um, that's like just locked in the bones or something. So yeah. What was the question? Ritual. <laughs> you know, you're good. You're good. Absolutely. No, well done. Yes. Yeah, and indeed, like, and it's not only indeed, it's not like ritual is and can be the, you know, doing like setting a magical space and doing a little wild like dance or whatever, but it's more in embedded in our daily life, right? Like our br- brushing our th- teeth right if we get up is a ritual because, yeah. because it has a, it has a one, two, three step to it and a, and a shape the way it goes. Yeah. One thing. And one thing you always speak of is the paradox, right? Um, and I feel it's so important right now to yeah. amplify and emphasize on the multifaceted part of our being and the world, right? Like I can be, ext- I can be mourning while be extremely grateful. I can be yeah. sad while fucking cracking up a joke, right? Like we can do all those things. I can be, um, uh, I can be disapproving of something while utilizing it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Why? What, what, what is your practice of being able to hold those dualities to those paradoxes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I know. I think the paradox is the answer to everything. I think that in a spell container anyway, to have what I sometimes call the shock of the strange, where there's this sudden moment of what feels like kind of overwhelming confusion, and yet there's an excitement to it, right? And so, you know, in my spellcraft, I do that a lot with time, where we start to feel the memory as very similar to this future vision that we're trying to call in, right? And so you when you do that in a spell container, and you're sort of holding that tension really in your body, and usually there's movement involved, you start to get to this place where there's like this, like, it feels like a kind of lightning bolt up the center line of the body. And you try to hold that tension 
for as long as you can, which usually isn't very long. Um, so, you know, that's in spellcraft, the paradox in life. I don't feel like it's that different. Um, as a practice, if something feels that way, like a shock of the strange where there's, you know, two um, seemingly opposing poles, can I hold these two things together until this third thing arises? Because usually that third thing is what you're after, right? So like to go back to my childhood and having this these two dualistic households, like I could say they don't go together. They're so different. And I'm sure that was my childhood mindset. Like they don't go together. And yet they did through me, mm-hmm. right? Like I was the third thing. So, you know, we always have evidence that the paradox exists in our lives if we think about it, <laughs> but we're just so socialized to lean in one direction or the other that we tend to not notice it or we t- tend to run away from it when it shows up. So I usually point people toward naming what are two roles that you play in your life right now that they seem like they don't go together in that when you are one, you can't be the other, right? So an example that I often use is mother and lover. Like right after I was divorced, which was now more than 10 years ago, I was the mother of two very young kids and trying to date. (laughs) That was really difficult. Actually, it wasn't trying. It was just happening. (laughs) So it felt like I couldn't, if I had to be lover, I couldn't be mother. I had to like put that in a little box or something. And then same thing when I was mother, I couldn't be thinking about all of these men that I was dealing with. Right. And so, and yet I was the third thing. Like I was living both of those things. It just felt like I couldn't be both at the same time. And so sometimes that can point people toward that paradox energy because you're already doing it. It's just wielding it in a way that can serve you and and actually be a power source instead of something that's like defeating. Right. Yeah. And and you speak a lot about time. What what is your relationship to time? Oh, time is my honey-tongued lover. (laughs) Word witchery right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I would have said I had a really good relationship with time pre-2020. And then you know that 2020 really like cracked open a lot of doors for me. Um, Time started moving strangely for everyone. I know. I was so into it, though. I mean, I was like really noticing and I still am noticing, you know, the the way, you know, I can go, I still do go in my kitchen and like, look at the calendar. And I'm like, how can this be what month it is and what year it is? Like, I still have those moments of like, what happened? (laughs) Where are we? And um, yeah, so, so I do think um, that it's not time traveling in like the science fiction sense yet. I feel like we can get there eventually. But it's being able to kind of psychically dance between a moment that we might call past and then this present moment and a moment that we might call future. And it doesn't just have to be those three points. I think that's the easiest way, but we could go, we could have 10 past moments and 10 future moments, right? And being able to psychically dance between them in a way that it makes neither the past nor the future I guess the audio, you can't see my quote quote marks with my fingers, but like, you know, 
it's not really past and it's not really future because that locks those moments in cages. And so it's not really past. It's not really future. It all just ends up to feel like one thing. And there's such a liberation to that. There's such a feeling of liberation to that. And it's become a real daily practice for me to kind of do this time weaving, you know, where I'm moving between memory, present and future so that something weird opens up in my brain. Like it feels like this crack in time, like what I was saying in ritual and story, but you can do it in like five minutes or less, right? To feel that like, and that is kind of the same as the shock of the strange and spellcraft feeling that like, oh, that linear time those linear time theories that we've been sold aren't quite true, right? Like, I'm not saying linear time's not real ever. I'm saying there's another thing that's there that's not the same as chronological time. Like, from a mythic perspective, it might be called Kairos time. You know, it's just time that doesn't move the way our calendars and clocks move. And I think that the more people start to feel into that, I mean, it's already happening, right? They're calling it, what are they calling it? The, um, what are they calling the great, where everybody's quitting the great, the great recession or what is something like that? No, something, something like resignment that. or something like, well, you know, yeah. The great resignation maybe. Resi- yeah. Thank yeah. You. Like I, that, I think that's because of people's relationship with time is changing and they just like, you know, increasingly we don't have a stomach for having an hour of time be bound to a certain monetary number, right? Yes. Um, it just increasingly people are realizing that that was never quite the right thing, right? And a lot of people, if, if we look historically, and I feel this, there's a fallacy because people don't research where things come from because we just accept things as truth. But the um, a few decades, hundred years ago, um, when they introduced an hour wage, the streets were filled with protesters because everyone was like, you're not going to tell me how much an hour is worth of my time. And now, you know, two generations, everything becomes normal after two generations. We're like, oh yeah, what's your hour wage? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and like, you know, to us, like at that time, I think it's in it's in Caliban and the Witch when they're talking about the, the assignment of the hourly wage as like a way of managing inflation. Like they had to do it because they had all of this gold from the from colonization coming into Europe. Um, and so, of course, people protested like and then at the same time, there was the the movement of work away from home. Right. Like people used to kind of work where they lived. And then suddenly we weren't doing that anymore. Um, and then 2020 happens. <laughs> I know that things happened in between there. I know that it's a 600 year window <laughs> in between there. So let's say some things happened and then 2020 happens <laughs> and we are back in our homes working. Right. And so of course there's like a resistance to going back to the way things were like, there's no possible, there's no possible way that we could ever go back to our 2019 selves right? Like, or the, and I'm speaking like collectively, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hours and money in the same way. There's no way. No way. Yeah. What, um, what are some of the answers or perhaps guidelines that we will find in your new book? Answers. That's a good question. I think 
that there might be more questions than answers when you finish reading the book. Um, I think that like a lot of the discovery or my intention anyway, is a lot of the discovery will happen individually as they're working through these different journaling practices that they have. Um, I, I, there is a lot of time magic in there. So hopefully there is some sort of at least, um, you know, validation for the way, not that they need validation from me, but, but feeling like, you know, they're not alone. The reader's not alone in feeling like time is strange right now. Um, I think that, there's kind of, I feel that among some of my people that I work with, there's sometimes, especially artists and people and writers and people that are, you know, trying to burr the project, maybe there's sometimes this sense that they need to know the end of this weird chapter in the global story before they do it. And, you know, they might say, they might not necessarily think, oh, we're going to go back to 2019 and then I'll finish it. But they, they're thinking that they're going to come to some kind of resolution soon. And I don't think that that's the way it is. And so I think that, you know, that that is a big message in the book is like, we are here now. Like, th- these are tense times. There is not going to be a tie it up in the bow moment. I don't think we are on, at least for not for a long, long time, we, we're on a, you know, earthwide underworld journey, I think. and. I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. And so there's a reason why I think, and whoever's reading my book doesn't have to buy into this, but I think there's a reason why we are all here. Like I've been saying, why, which, why now? Like if you claim the name, which, why, and why now? Like if you Mm -hmm. chose to be here for this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like like why, right? Um, So, you know, maybe you have a particular role to play. And if so, what is it? There's a lot of... um, you know, th- those sorts of questions in the book that I I don't know that they'll generate concrete and clear answers, but I hope that they feel inspirational and not, you know, because uh, I think that it, we c- it can start to feel very heavy being alive right now. That's not a surprising statement. <laughs> it can feel very heavy living right now. Um, and yeah. So why, which, why now? And, uh, you know, like why cast the spell when the world feels like it's ending? Well, because you chose to be a witch and to be here for this. That's why. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I, what I love about your writing is that it's, it's a, perhaps like it's a not, not forceful in a negative way, but a forceful in a like supported way invitation mm-hmm. to, research meaning and values within self therefore that will result in answers and i think that's such a like that's such an important thing to have that invitation um okay and, and before i go to my closing statements i always ask these questions okay two questions first one is if you would successfully travel back to the 13 year old you and mm-hmm. she would know it's you like there's no none of this like oh you know i have to test whether it's danielle mm-hmm. what would you tell her 13 year old me knows that I am 42 year old her. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What would I say to her? Ugh. I would say, keep going. You're going to be so cool someday. 
Yes. Look at my tattoos. <laughs> and I would probably say something along the lines of, you know, you are not only the product of your parents. Mm. Like your world right now is not going to be your world forever. I would Beautiful. say. And your 69-year-old <laughs> travels back to you today. Yes. And same same thing. She knows, like, you know, it's her, like, right. What, what is she telling you? Yeah. It, it's, it's a funny question. Cause you know, I work with, I don't know if she's 69, but I work with old me a lot. Mm. I know exactly what she looks like. Um, and I feel like I know a little bit about her world and what would she say to me? I think she'd tell me to, what would she say to me or what do I say to her? She to you. She to me. I think she would just tell me to like keep going and, you know, not necessarily. I think she would have a lot to say about where I am right now because I am in this like kind of two to three year limbo where like I know where I'm going to be or at least I know I know where I want to be in two or three years physically. And yet I'm in this kind of tension, right? Oh, I just came to this realization that like the like, I mean, it's not the same as my parents versus my grandparents, but I do, I'm in this dualistic environment of like, um, you know, being in this very built place where my children have to be because it's where their school is. And then loving this wild land and running off to it every weekend or every chance that I get. So I know that she lives in the wild place. And I think she might say something to me about like, don't be in such a hurry to get there that you mm. miss these moments that, you know, are really the final container for my family constellation as it is now. Like by the time I get to move to the wild place, my oldest son will have graduated high school and things will be different. So I think she would tell me to take it easy. <laughs> okay. 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 I love it. So um, before we end, I need to publicly express your role and impact on the world, um, on, in, on the small world, but also on the big world. Mm -hmm. um, for anyone listening right now, I know about me, you know, how I've, I've always been vocal, but Danielle was the, 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 the permission, the supportive permission slip for me to pursue um, whatever I teach right now. Uh, she was the first one. She was like, hey, are you going to teach about money? I'm like, I have nothing to teach. And she's like, well, you're the only one I know who actually has money and who does the money magic. I'm like, well, I'm, so I can tell you something about it, I guess. Um, but your embodiment and the vastness that 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 you energetically can hold the polarities, the paradoxes, the in-between, the way you word witchery and magic yourself into landing ritual and spells and permission and validation into your existence is the biggest, biggest fucking gift um, is, 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 is your legacy that's that's already outlived you already because of the <laughs> ripple effect that you have on people. Um, and what a gift, what, what a gift. And I just want to thank you for that because um, the realistic me knows that 
without going into like, you know, I know it wasn't, I know it was hard work. I know it wasn't easy. And I know there's been a lot of overcoming. Um, and for you to have done that, and now you are such a, like you're a little gift wrapped in like a human vessel, like, <laughs> whoa, whoa. So thank you for that. And now even birthing these books and birthing these storytellings. And again, these invitations to self and therefore the relationship to world, like, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, wow. What so, so good. I'm going to have. um on a practical sense your book is right now in pre-order it officially goes on sale september 13th right am i saying that correctly um i will put all the links in all the descriptions in all the social media get the pre-order um yes just 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 a big yes I'm telling you, you need this in life. If you don't have these books, are you even living? Those are the real questions. <laughs> and yes, FOMO. Like, if you don't have these books, are you even living? Is that because I will? I would suggest no. So you need these books, and um, I will put all your social media up and where we all can find you and our, all your offerings of the world and of yourself. Is there anything that we need to know, the listeners? Uh, no, I think that's it. They can pre-order the book now and they'll get it in September. Yes. Depending on what Amazon's will is. Yes. And for the, the international listeners, um, her former books are translated to in different languages. So get those two. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Okay. Thank you for being here with us on fearless wealth. And, um, thank I'll you. See, I'll see you. I'll see you this year in person. Finally. <laughs> okay. I know. okay bye-bye i truly 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 (laughs) hope you enjoyed this episode today and i would love to hear from you what really stood out to you if there was something that ignited a certain feeling or deepened a certain insight if something even pissed you off and you were like yo i could not handle this opinion i so disagree with that i love to hear that please share um leave reviews tag friends, um, connect with me on Facebook, connect with me and follow me on Instagram. There's on Facebook, I have elaborate discussions and I do get involved Uh, on Instagram. It's more storytelling and sharing pictures. And I follow a lot of people back. Um, as for what I do currently, my base course is the Dom course. It's a two part course where we get into the practical dominatrix work, which, which types exist a eight almost eight hour fetish library where I break down all the fetishes that exist that I know of that I've worked of examples what they are what they not are how one can utilize them the traps and the upsides of it um, and there is another part where it's all about embodying the dominatrix archetype getting more in touch with yourself learning about your body being more vocal in your desires and your needs, being more confident in who you are and how you want to show up, dismantling old beliefs, even a lot of researching what some of the beliefs are that we hold on, some of the programs that run within us and some of the coping mechanisms. As well as that, I have the Blood Coats 2.0 with our amazing, amazing Jesse Magic. This is all creativity, wealth, embodiment, in touch with being with our cycle, in touch with the external energies, a bunch of magic, a bunch of mysticism, a bunch of 
I highly, highly recommend. Then I have um, a workshop that's called The Four Money Rituals. Speaks for itself. If you want to give your money magic a little a boost, they have been tested. They have been several dozens of times tried out and the feedback was amazing. Then I have the tap in workshop. It's a workshop where we demystify all these bullshit terms such as abundance, frequency, flow, uh, positive thinking, everything that kind of the love gaslight community ruined for us and how to take back those words. But also it's mostly, um, it's mostly focused on giving you a hands-on practice. I'm giving an exam, um, giving you examples of practices. I'm giving you examples of exercises and I'll take you all through it of how to get back to, instead of the, the fluffy, whatever it is, but really get back to the core of yourself, taking back the language and the meaning of certain words and then use them, then get into the practices and really amplify on life and however you want it to be. In the spring, I have a new wealth course coming. And in the fall, probably winter, I have a new Befriending Your Inner Demons coming. So again, thank you so much for listening. See you at the next episode.